previously on the Enneagram Journey. This is called a schedule. It tells you everything you need to do each day. Pickups, drop-offs, activities, playdates, doctor's appointments, etc. You'll notice that there are approximately 50 hours worth of obligations on any given day. Make it work. As a nine, change is incredibly difficult for me. Even changes that I choose. So something good that could be happening, like getting a new apartment or when I finished grad school and I wasn't doing that on top of my full-time job, any good change is also extremely difficult for me to navigate. God wants it. God wants it. Did I not clearly explain the circle of trust to you, Greg? Mm. Yeah, I think I got it. Then is there something you want to tell me? Mm, I, I don't think so. Didn't we have a discussion yesterday in the car about this? Oh, yes. You mean, yes. You mean me and Pam. Yes, I would love to talk to you about that. We're not that. talking about Pam, Greg. We're talking about you. See, if I can't trust you, Greg, then I have no choice but to put you right back outside the circle. And once you're out, you're out. There's no coming back. Hmm. Well, I would definitely like to stay inside the circle. Well, then tell me the truth. Okay. Jack, I don't know what we're talking about. And the answer, ladies, is trust. This is your first test. Spanish! Do you trust that we've provided you with enough slack so that your block will land safely on the lawn? Sir, yes, sir. And Blue! Yes, sir. Do you trust that I do not want to see you die here tonight? Sir, yes, sir. Blue, you're my boy! Thank you, sir. Welcome, friends. Feel free to close your eyes and fall back into the welcoming arms of the Anagram Journey podcast. My name is Joel, and in today's episode, you may or may not hear a story about your boy being dropped during a trust fall. You're definitely going to hear from Ryan and Suzanne Motter, Enneagram 8 and 9. They sat down with the Enneagram Godmother for the final stop of the Enneagram Journey Toward Wholeness Tour in Kansas City, Missouri. You're going to hear about their relationship as an 8 and a 9 doing life together, both at home and at work. They're going to talk about community, trust, therapy, There's going to be a special guest appearance from a very special Enneagram 3. We're going to wrap it up with a little Q&A. Be sure and stick around through the end of the episode because we have a new question for the next episode of Others on the Journey that we need you, the listener, to answer. So when you hear the theme song start to pipe up and the applause from the crowd, keep listening and I'm going to tell you what we need from you. The Enneagram Journey podcast is produced by Life in the Trinity Ministry podcast is made possible by the support and contributions of individuals, groups, and institutions who also believe in a community encouraging self-knowledge, fostering spiritual maturity, and the values of Micah 6-8. You can support LTM and the Anagram Journey podcast by donating at the link in the show notes or at theanagramjourney.com and lifeinthetrinityministry.com. And now, let's get started with Ryan, Suzanne, and Suzanne. Test. Check one, two. You can hear hearing people. The godmother. Check one, two. Check one, oh, oh, two, yeah. one, two. They're clear. Okay. Well, I'll have a seat. Let's let's have some fun. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know about the people in the hot seat in the middle, but <laughs> let's get vulnerable with strangers. <laughs> yeah. That's what, what. What episode was that? That they. 
Oh, you had a two and a seven on. Two I think. and a seven. Three, three and a seven. Three and, three and a, a seven. seven. Three and a seven. Yeah, at the uh, Red Cat, Red Cat Coffee. That's where we can go with. Words uh, coffee. Yeah, the coffee's in there, and there's a cat, and it's red. <laughs> the thing I remember about that is that we, it's a coffee shop, so we thought we would have this at a coffee shop, but the coffee shop people left and just said to Joel, like, you know, have what you want. It's right here. They literally, they said, uh, let us know when you're done, and they left. <laughs> and that's how it went down. We put out a little tip jar and a QR code for people to pay. They didn't even have that, but they were like, yeah, yeah, just pay for it. Well, well, how, man? So, uh, but yeah, it was a good time. First off, thank you all for coming uh, on behalf of LTM, on behalf of Community Christian Church. Tomorrow, who, not to single people out, but it's easier to see, who's not coming tomorrow? You people. All right. We're glad you're here tonight. Yeah. Yes. It's okay. Uh, you still have a chance to get in heaven. Like it's. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, for everybody else who's coming tomorrow, you're going to hear from the senior pastor of the church, Andrew Graham 3, right back there, posting up. Uh, she's loving this spot right now. And you'll hear plenty about Joe tomorrow, my dad, the Reverend, Suzanne's husband. She'll do her spiel. But yeah, so we're here. Let's. Let's do it. There's going to be at least one spot for Q&A, uh, at least one, probably two, about midway through and at the end. If you have a question, these are the mics, so I'm going to stand up and go as far as I can, but you might have to come meet me and traverse the, the plane there, so uh, be prepared for that. If you're my age and you think you might have a question and you're at the back, you should start now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, just start making your way over to this area. But with that being said... If it's been edited out or if you've never seen a live podcast with, with us before, we don't, there's no plan. We send a few questions just to make sure, hey, anything you really don't want to talk about, because you should say that now. And, and if there is something you do want to talk about, um, and a little bit of background information about yourself. And outside of that, we don't give, we don't give them questions. We, it's pretty organic, and it seems to work out okay. I, I'm happy with I'm happy with work it. That's been done. So, so now you get to. You, you should feel really comfortable because the, under the where you put things you don't want to talk about, Joel always reminds me. Now remember, they don't want to talk about this. Right here, there's this thing. Yeah, don't don't. Don't talk about that. I mean, we're real excited that there's no plan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's start right there then uh, with just introductions, and uh, y'all go ahead tell everyone a little bit about yourself and the listeners. And your Instagram number and background info, and then, then we're in it. We're off and running. Okay. I'm Suzanne Motter, and I am a nine. And um, I have served Community Christian Church for five years. And I'm now a, we're doing a new thing where we're partnering with a congregation in the Northland of Kansas City. And so I am their transitional part, uh, pastor up there. Um, we have two daughters. This is my husband. I'll go ahead and give that out there. Um, we have two daughters, um, first grade and newly five-year-old as well. So I'm Ryan Motter. I'm an eight. I, too, have served community for the last five years, and I am uh, an associate minister here. I work with pastoral care and social justice. I work with worship leadership, and uh, it's a gift to be part of this place. Um, we also share our lives with a dog, 
Um, we have Jeff Louise. It's a girl dog with boy name, Jeff Louise. We call her Jeffy Lou. And we live... No, 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 no. We're not just skipping over that. Who named Jeffy Lou? So I had two roommates in college whose names were Jeff. Uh, both potluck roommates, Jeff. And so I promised myself that if I ever got a dog, whether it was boy or a girl, I would name it Jeff. And so we got Jeff uh, nine years ago now. And Suzanne said, what do you want to name it? And I said, Jeff. And your mom. And my mom said, you can't name a girl dog a boy's name. And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, the dog at least has to have like a feminine middle name. And I said, like what, mom? And she said, like, I don't know, Louise. And so we said, Jeff Louise, it's perfect. So mom calls the dog J-Lo. Um, <laughs> so, and Jeff now, Lee? mom, when we take, our girls are at my parents' house for tonight. And uh, when we take the girls, mom demands that we bring Jeff. Uh, and Jeff demands that we take her. So yeah. that's where everybody is. How, how old's your mom? My mom, I don't, I don't know that she's ever told me how old she is. I don't know. She does not. That, like, that should have been on the list of things we're not allowed to talk about. Uh, but I feel like Louise dates herself right. a little bit for. Maybe, right. Yeah. Let's get yeah. a good hip. Right. Feminine of name. All the feminine right. names, Louise. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then turn around, call her. Which well, is my grandmother's name. Yeah. Louise. Yeah. That, probably. One of the interesting things about names and y'all and us and. Shanna and Ryan. So Shanna is the senior pastor here. Ryan is her husband. Suzanne is a transitional pastor there, but used to be here, and Ryan. And they call her Suze, and he calls me Suze. And so we have two Ryans and two Suzannes, and it's very confusing. Yep. Because we don't, aren't sure who's talking to who. And then I had Ryan in my cohort, and if you're in my cohort, then you're mine. Like, I, <clears throat> you have to really be bad for me to not just take you as mine. So Ryan is also mine, so when Shanna is talking about her Ryan, sometimes I say, well, my Ryan, but sometimes I'm talking about Shanna's Ryan when I talk about my Ryan. So just so you know, we have no idea exactly what we're saying about one another, and now you're confused enough that you don't know either. This is why it's good <laughs> that we don't have a plan. Yes, no plan, see? I think you're all a little too possessive. Oh, with the my? My. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my yeah. Said my son, Joel. Yeah. I love to touch back on to the uh, little survey. Let's start here at the beginning with Know Your Number, because y'all both had great Know Your Number stories. So our journey with the... She has these cards. She told me I was too relaxed, which made me super nervous. <laughs> um, but uh, we started... I, I didn't really know what the Enneagram was, and I think it was 2013, 2014 maybe. It would have been 2014. In 2014, I went with a group to Life in the Trinity Ministry, and Suzanne did a very quick Know Your Number workshop with this group. It was like a three-hour just massive crush against these nine numbers. And uh, she started that day by talking about eights like she usually does when she teaches Know Your Number. And I was in a room with about 46 other people that all knew me really well. I'm a pastor. They were all pastors. And uh, we were sitting together, and she went through eights, and then she said, does anybody here think that you might be an eight? And uh, there were two people on the front row who immediately raised their hands sitting together, and Suzanne kind of looked at them like, oh, we know that you guys are that. And, And I was on the back row, and the rest of the room turned around and looked at me. And my response, 
which was verbal to the people around me was, well, screw you guys. You guys don't know what I am. I mean, like, that's, there's no way. This was a group of ministers, of course. Right, exactly. So we went through the whole time together, and then uh, afterwards... You came home and told me you were a seven. I thought, I was sure I was a seven at that point. And uh, we got to twos, and everybody in the room looked around at me, and they said, oh, Suzanne's a two. So I came home... So you came home and told me I was a two, which is what you tell people not to do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I think what I said was, everybody says that you're a two. Everybody says that you're a two. Which means nobody listens to me. See how that bug connection is there? I do. I follow the rules. Yes, you do. I follow the rules. So I thought I was a two. It sounded pretty close to I like to help people and do all those things. And then I was reading the nine, and it was really uncomfortable. And I didn't like it. And the conflict avoidance, I think, was one of the main things that helped me to know that I was definitely a nine. And now understanding orientation to time and those types of things, it's... Definitely nine. And I had a conversation with a mentor who was like, are you really sure that you're a seven? I said, yeah, I think I am. And they go, I'm not so sure. I'm like, I'm a seven. (laughs) Leave it alone. Spoken like a true eight. Right. (laughs) Right. So then we embraced it. Mm -hmm. I just want to talk a little bit about the reality that uh, we have Lydia and Eliza, and they're quite something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so their girls are seven. Seven and, well, Lydia, Lydia will be seven on Tuesday. Okay. And Eliza, Eliza is five. five. She turned five on Monday. And um, you've been married eight years. Mm-hmm. And then I want to get to some other things that, to me, are really important in terms of how you live out the number that you are. And one of them is where you're from. The fact that I'm from Floydata, Texas, changes lots of things for me. The fact that Joe was born in the Bronx changes things for him, but he was raised in Houston, and that changes things again. I walked into their hotel room today, and they were watching a Bronx tale on, on television. So, Wasn't my pick. It's a good flick. Raised in Midland, Texas matters, Suzanne. Yes. And if you've never been to Midland, Texas, it's, it's one of the places in Texas where uh, you kind of think that you're at the end of the least lovely parts of Texas. <laughs> How did I do with that? That's, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. It, then Is anybody if you, else from Midland here? Anybody oh, yeah, that's right. Anyone See, that's so there? pastoral of you. Yeah. Anybody? Okay, so we can speak freely about it. <laughs> There's no one on the podcast. Just so yeah. you know, though, people listen to this that aren't in the room, ideally. Mm-hmm. So, well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Whitney did some time in Midland. She went to high school there and stuff. So, I, I grew up thinking that I lived in a small town. Yep. Because Midland was a small town, isolated. There, it has 100,000 people in it that I thought was small town. Yep. But it ha- it's um, an oil um, a lot of oil companies there, so there's very tall, high-rise buildings, so there's a lot of people who are the um, white-collar workers, I guess, is what they called them when I was growing up. But So that definitely influences a lot. It does. How I see the world, how it I saw the world. Absolutely how I does. It. it absolutely does. And then uh, you went to TCU, and then you went to Bright Seminary. Mm-hmm. 
and then you were ordained at Bright, Disciples of Christ Pastor, and your first church was in Mayfield, Kentucky. Did you also think that was a small town? <laughs> we call it my wilderness years. <laughs> Um, yes, his Mayfield is in the middle of the very corner of um, Kentucky. It's rural. There were 10,000 people, so much different than my small town. Um, there was not a movie theater or restaurants or anything. And I was the only female pastor within counties and counties around. Yeah, it's good for you. <laughs> and then to Lee's Summit for 11 years. Mm-hmm. That's yes. a long time. It's a very long time, Yes. So left um, there to, from the wilderness to a suburban congregation and served there for 11 years and had a wonderful ministry in that church. And then here. Mm-hmm. And now transitional pastor at Park Hill. Mm-hmm. Okay, the reason I want all that on the table, your time's coming. I know. <laughs> the reason I want all that on the table is because change is very difficult for nines. Very, very difficult. And it comes with angst about leaving and angst about arriving. And it's one of the best examples I have of liminal space, which I'm going to talk about tomorrow. So I just want on the table that liminality takes on all kinds of shapes and all kinds of sizes. And part of the understanding of liminality is when you as a pastor leave one church and go to another, that's liminal space. And as soon as you know you're leaving, that's where liminality begins, and until you've been somewhere for a while, that's where you wait, on the threshold, waiting to see what's coming. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, when I talk about liminality, I don't have enough time to give you all of the examples that I'd like to offer, so I want to be sure that you catch this one as it goes by, because it makes a phenomenal difference, I think, in how nines do life. And our family was moving hardest on the Reverend and Jenny? Yes. With each move? I think so. And, and I think, um, I, I don't want people to read the new book or come out of this time thinking that liminality is only a result of um, a global pandemic or um, big unexpected life change because it's part of many other things as well. Each one of those moves has been really challenging in that liminal space. You know, when I graduated seminary, I had this thought of I had to leave Texas because it was my hometown, the whole state somehow. And so I wanted to go somewhere where I was only known as Reverend Suzanne. And then I went there, and many of the people didn't believe that I should be Reverend Reverend. Suzanne, Mm -hmm. that I could work with the kids, but that was all. And, um, and I had a wonderful experience. The people were amazing in the congregation. I love them dearly still. And, and yet there was this sense of call away from there after two years. And, um, and that was really hard for me to come to terms with because I thought I need to go somewhere and be rooted and grounded and be mm-hmm. long-term pastorate. And, and then it was just really right to move to here, to Kansas City, to this congregation. And again, you know, I didn't want to leave there. And yet God was calling me to something different. And I stayed longer than I probably knew I should be there. But I didn't want to leave. I loved them and wanted to stay. And so that was really difficult. Um, and then it was the right move to then come here. And it was amazing and wonderful and all those things, too. Yeah, yeah. Joe says, you know, that God called him into the priesthood and God called him out of the priesthood. 
one of my favorite sayings from Father Richard Rohr is, the best protection from the next word of God is the last word of God. And when you get all dialed in on, well, no, this is what I'm supposed to do, and you believe that that's your spot forever, then it's real hard to hear the Holy Spirit from there. All right. I really kind of loved him from the get-go. Everybody does, really. I mean. I did not. That's a <laughs> Most of our stories start with she thought I was a total ass. So. Are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, he can say that. If he didn't say it, I would have had oh, to. And then, is you there know. a bleep button on the podcast? I'm really sorry. <laughs> Apparently, with the podcast, if you mark one episode as explicit, then the whole podcast oh. is marked as Explicit. We just don't want to be that episode for you. So, we, uh, I'm not saying this is an eight thing, but <laughs> it, we had to mark the Nadia ones and the uh, Tony Jones ones. There you go. So, there's that. I'll be better. And so I'll now just try to be better than Tony Jones and Nadia Bolts. Yeah, well, that, I don't even know what you think better would be. So, that makes me nervous. <clears throat> it's interesting to me that you were raised in the Kansas City suburbs because. You are so personable and personal once you know somebody. So that's not raised in the suburbs, generally. That's not eight, generally. That's not eight extrovert, generally. And then you ended up, interestingly enough to me, you went to TCU and then to seminary at Vanderbilt, And uh, one of the things that you talked about at dinner that I found fascinating for an eight, can you tell by that laugh how many things we talked about at dinner? It was so great. (laughs) But one of the things I found fascinating is you were talking to Joe about the fact that you lived in the disciples' house, whatever y'all call that, on campus, and as an effort to experience community. And we didn't get to talk about that at all at dinner. How was that? effort at experiencing Christian community for you? So, uh, for those of you from Kansas City, I was raised in Lenexa. Um, I went to Shawnee Mission West High School, and uh, the church that I went to uh, was Shawnee Park Christian Church, and it was at the corner of Midland and 435, um, uh, out on the west side of town, uh, which is, it's gone now. It was torn down, and there are two hotels there. Um, my experience of being raised in the suburbs uh, was helped by two things. One, my mom was really, uh, it was important for her to be with us, and it was important for her to be around us, and so she got a job working for the local school. So my mom was the secretary of the elementary school that I went to, Um, which I told you at dinner, I went to the principal's office every single year that I was in elementary school for good and bad reasons. And every time I went, I'd have to look at my mom um, sitting behind the desk. She'd know before anybody else did. Um, but it was really important because both of my parents were raised in small town Kansas. It was really important for them to create some kind of community around us. We lived in a subdivision that had a sense of community to it. We had this school and mom knew all the teachers and knew all the people and we knew the principal and And my dad, just to sum up my dad in one phrase, my dad is the guy that talks to you on the airplane. Um, 
He's the guy who sits down next to people he's never met before and strikes up a conversation with them because he's genuinely interested in who you are. And he's a storyteller and he likes to talk to them. He just is personable that way. Uh, personable that way. And he's a baby whistler. He walks up to people who have babies and he just takes them from them um, and walks off with them because that's who he is. And um, so that was, it was always really important to them for us to have community. But for as important as that was, those communities within the suburbs are all over the place. You know, some neighborhoods, like the neighborhood we live in now is in a suburb of Kansas City, and we don't know our neighbors. Um, and there's no intentional effort on behalf of the neighborhood to know your neighbors or to know each other. Well, I need, I need this uh, zip code. Yeah. Sounds great. You want to move in there? <laughs> yeah. There's no HOA. It's great. Yeah, um, <laughs> but that was really important. So when I left uh, Kansas City to go to college, I really wanted a place that would have a sense of community. Um, and when I went to TCU, I walked on campus and I felt a sense of community. I just felt that there, and I was an RA for the four years that I was in uh, TCU, and I was the RA who was known to always have his door open, because anybody could come in at any time for anything. So when I went to seminary, it was really important for me to have that sense of community, but it was really created for me by the people around me when I was young. And now, knowing what we know, I mean, even we used to live in a suburb in Lee Summit, in a condo, we didn't really know our neighbors there. So everybody around me when I was young taught me that community was important. It was taught. Yeah, me too. Same experience. <clears throat> you didn't, I didn't even talk about Vanderbilt, but yeah. Do you want to? Well, all of the people who I went to Vanderbilt with will listen to this after it's recorded, so I kind of feel obliged to talk about them because I love them deeply. Um, but they now are our community in many ways. We go on vacation with them every two years. Um, we, we stick together, and it's one of the ways that we're teaching our kids community. Um, they're in Ohio and Kentucky and Oklahoma, and yet we're still a community. Yeah. We're still together on that. So it's a value we teach. We try to embody. One of the reasons I want you to talk about that is because it's, a, it's not a guarantee that aggressive numbers are going to want that kind of community. I didn't know the whole history, so I wondered, because you're just a community kind of guy. Well, there's more there, but we'll get there. Yeah, okay. Then call to Smithville. Mm -hmm. Where's that? Smithville is another suburb of Kansas City. It's 23 miles north of here. So it has an Army Corps of Engineers lake, and it's a lovely more little place. rural. More rural. Yeah, you drive through four solid miles of country land before you get there. Uh, and then you joined the team here where Suzanne was. Mm -hmm. All right, I want to talk about that decision. So y'all are an eight and a nine. Uh, I, in my experience of you, Suzanne, is that you're not an introvert introvert, but you're not an extrovert. So you are somewhere in that space uh, of middle maybe on, yes. on your way. But, but I've always wondered if you're as good at leaning into the extroverted sign as you are because you've been a public person. I think that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. for as much as you have. Mm -hmm. I think people would be surprised to hear me say I'm introverted sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So um, did you feel your space in 
your slow way of building like nines do was enhanced by Ryan being coming here? Did you have any, I don't know if I want all that <laughs> loveliness. I'm a lot. You're okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we actually came about the same time. So we were serving in our two different con- churches, and I had discerned that it was time for me to leave mine. Um, our daughter, Lydia, was one year old, and so the commuting for both of us and serving in full-time ministry and doing all of that was just too much. And I was like, this is not how we can live. And so I said, we have to, I need to focus on her and our life together. And so... I had already left my church, and then uh, Shanna came, invited herself for dinner to our house and um, pitched us this idea. We, we bought a house halfway between yes. the two churches we were serving because we're like, this is a good place. It's got a good school district, we're and gonna we are both going to be at these churches forever. And, and we then, moved in in September, and, and Shanna came to notice. dinner in December. Yeah, I gave my notice, I think, in December, or in yeah. September as well, yeah. that I was leaving my congregation. So um, she, she pitched this idea of us coming both here to serve here, and since I was already um, finished with my other congregation, I started here in March, and um, there was a lot of discernment for that, of could we work together, what would that be like, um, and for us, we talked about it, neither one of us were going to be the boss, And so we thought that could work out pretty well, that neither one of us was the boss. I was going to be working 10 hours a week, so I could still be at home um, most of the time with our daughter. And then pretty soon, Eliza was coming along um, right when I started um, here. And so for me, it felt really good because it also was a children's ministry position. And so I was going to get to create ministry for my daughters the way that I would hope that they could learn and thrive and grow and create community um, with other families. And so um, for me, it felt like a really good fit. Ryan was not ready to leave his congregation. Um, and so it, I'll let you speak to that discernment process. But um, yeah, so I, I was excited for us to have one place that we were both going because, again, we were commuting and and trying to take our baby to both places and be a part of both communities, and they were so wonderful and loving, and it was such a gift and also was a gift to be in one place, um, which now we're experiencing again that we're in two different places, and um, mostly they come here, so he's in charge of them on Sundays. but Which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Last Sunday I was preaching, and Lydia was upside down in her seat right over there while I was preaching. I lost my Kicking the chair. Kicking the chair. I love that a lot. That was how it was. So, and then she came and crawled through the communion table while we were doing communion. There you go, preachers' kids. That's the way that works. It was great in the it's moment. Not the way that works. <laughs> <laughs> so, Suzanne started three months before I did. She started on Easter Sunday, and I started in June. And so we were saying goodbye to my congregation, and I was um, I was the senior minister in that church, and. Um, I was moving into an associate role here, um, and for a lot of reasons, as I was departing, I was heartbroken. Um, I really loved that place, and I loved those people, and I still do, and I was feeling like a failure uh, because I uh, was really exhausted with preaching, and I was really, I was preaching mostly weekly, and I felt like I was saying the same thing over and over and over again. Um, 
And there were a lot of other reasons that I felt like I had failed in that. Um, and I wanted to take a step away from that role into a different one. And alongside that, I had members of my church asking me why I would take a demotion to come to another congregation um, as an associate. I served this congregation as an intern in 2007 between college and seminary. And so some folks were upset because they felt like I was just coming back here and that that had been the plan all along. And it was really hard. It was a really hard departure. How many of you are in ministry? Isn't it fascinating all the things that people think they know about our motivations and reasons for all the things that we do? It's astonishing to me. How many people have come up to me in our 35 years and said, I know why you're doing this, to which I have been premeditatedly muted (laughs) or something? (laughs) Joe says, here are five things you can't talk about this year. Okay. (laughs) But it's fascinating how people, because they know us, think they know us and what our motivations are for all the things that we do. After I left and I came here, well, when we were talking about coming here, we made a commitment that we weren't going to talk about it for a month, and then it was all that we could talk about in that month. Um, (laughs) And then I made an appointment with Shanna, and Shanna and I had this lunch across the street at the restaurant where we had dinner over at Cafe Trio. And it Very was a, good choice. It was a four-hour lunch where I just kind of vomited out all of my feelings as an eight. That wasn't my language at the time, but I was like, here is all of my crap. Um, so do you still want to hire me? And she said, absolutely. Um, and... That was the start of a really great trust. We did not mention that Ryan and Shanna were my neighbors in seminary, so I already knew them um, before and had a friendship relationship with them as well, their family. I think we got the table set. That's a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, there we go. It's like Thanksgiving. All right, well, my first question (laughs) is I would love to hear. If there is a difference in your co-working dynamic as an eight and a nine to going home and then parenting together as an eight and a nine. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You had a quick answer, so I'm interested. I guess I got to tell you that what I tell Suzanne, people paid money for this. You can't just say, you can't give one word answers. From here on out, it's only yes or no. So, (laughs) Yes. Um, I think Suzanne said in her comments, like when we came here, uh, it was really important to both of us that neither of us were going to be the one in charge. Like we were not, neither of us were going to be the buck stops here person. And here, uh, our roles complemented each other in a lot of ways, but didn't always intersect. Um, we had different moments where she'd be doing work with people and I'd be doing work with people but most of her work was allowing our family to flourish in a different way, for our family to, for our kids to have their needs met and all those different things. And so it was a real joy for me to be in the same place, to be able to see her gifts and her giftedness firsthand. Um, and she would be on. Um, we always talk about this story that you tell about Joe, about how when Joe preaches and he puts on his robe, he shifts from his nine energy into his three energy. And that's true. It's, really, it's, really true yeah. here. 
Um, what I didn't know is that when the robe comes off and she goes home and the gray sweatpants come out, the energy swings way far back the other way. Oh, yeah. It's a pendulum. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that's really a pendulum. It's just a drop-off. It's more like, (laughs) boom. And the girls go, where's Mommy? And we'll be like, she's taking some time in her room. Uh, Mommy's put herself on timeout. Yeah, Mommy is having a timeout. So at the adjustment, there was this real sense of shift and swing. And for me, I, I don't know, did you experience that same swing of energy from me? No. You always have a lot of energy mm-hmm. until you're just snoring. Until? <laughs> yeah. Turn off. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, so we got married a little later in life for me and I had lived alone for 13 years and then we got married um, in October, and the next November had Lydia. So it was a really quick shift, and my house that was once peaceful was no, no longer peaceful, and now we have two little people. So, so there is a real shift in that where I would come home from doing all the three energy all day and being on to then coming home and still having to take care of people and be on and match. And my girls have a lot of energy, aggressive energy, um, and so it's, it's a lot. And, um, and so, you know, I do have moments where, yeah, it does swing pretty far of trying to recover and, and have moments for myself, which I don't really, you know, the nine, getting more energy for a nine is, is, is a tough, is a tough thing. So when Whitney and I got married or even before we got married and we started seriously dating and she had, it was just her and Jace and the addition, she's a one, no nine, but. Her routine and her schedule mm-hmm. and the way things are done. And then you throw me and Jolie into the mix. And then and then the wild card of, is, is Gracie here? Is Gracie not like, she was not a fan of that at all. I remember the first time, speaking of like destroying the peace, or that's not what you said. No, but that's okay. uh, <laughs> When I got in the car with, uh, we, she and I picked up Jace from school. I turned around and started asking questions, and he's looking at me kind of weird, and he's answering them slowly. He was uh, probably he was three at the time. And I was like, what's the deal? And she goes, we don't talk in the car. She's like, <laughs> when, when I pick him up from school and I've just had a whole day of work, that's quiet time. <laughs> and so, it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. it was I just funny it. hearing you say that. I, yep, yep. You know. well, after we had Lydia, Lydia would be in the back seat, and I would talk to Lydia all the time. And Suzanne would be like, you guys talk constantly. Nonstop. Like, what is your deal? And yeah, like, this is the way it, you're supposed to have a conversation. My dad is the guy who talks to people on airplanes. We have to talk. That's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Except Lydia is the one now who gets in the car and does not want to talk. To anybody. Right after school, she says, do not ask me any questions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I will get a snack in her, and then maybe she'll be willing to talk. And meanwhile, Eliza talks to everybody. 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 We were checking in at a campsite once, and the lady at the front desk who was checking us in and putting a little fob on our rearview mirror and everything, Eliza talked to her for 30 minutes. We just parked the car, and we let it run for a little while while Eliza was like, so what are your kids' names? Like, tell me about them. She's five. I mean, that's how she is. On her birthday Monday, she made me tell everyone we came into contact with, tell them it's my birthday. Tell them it's my birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we talked to every single person. Yeah. What do you argue about? In relation to parenting or just parenting? You want to go? If it helps. 
And well, we know what it is. We're just trying to okay. decide who's going to go first. Well, here's a funny, to break the ice for you, a funny eight, nine arguing story uh, with my sister and her husband, Billy, Joey and Billy Shuey. This was a decade ago. When, we went, when all, all the families went up to Oklahoma for like four days, and I drove back, me and my two brothers-in-law, we always like to stay up late. We did all of our stuff, put the kids to bed, all the things. And then we'd stay up till who knows what time, just the three of us having a good old time. Well, that didn't sit well with Joey on the final night. And so we were in the car, and I'm riding back with them. And she, yeah, she's the eight, and she's just letting Billy have it. I mean, just unloading on him. And he's sitting there, and yeah, okay. okay. And then finally... <laughs> He's like, can we, and I'm in the back seat just staring out the window. <laughs> but he's like, can, can we wait, you know, Joel's in the car. She's like, I don't give a damn that Joel's in the car. <laughs> just, and then she continued to go. So there you go. So to me, there are three things that we argue about. Oh, exciting. The, the first argument started early in our marriage, which is that uh, in my world, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. Um. It has to be on the calendar because we share that, and there's a lot happening. And at that point, we were in two churches. We shared our calendar like on our third date. It w- we were serious from the get go. Important. It was yeah, important. Mm-hmm. And for me, I have a hard time remembering it if it's not on my like, calendar. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. did you have calendars on your watches on, our on phones. your phones? Yes. And okay. So then I, we shared. Like I just, you know, I'm so old school, and I still have a paper calendar. Well, I have, a and paper I just calendar. had y'all getting together. With the light, car light on. Okay, like what? <laughs> How long are we going to be out tonight before we have to be home? I mean, there was a lot of coordination. <laughs> there was a lot. I mean, I did, I, that was part of the trouble. Why we originally right. started probably mm-hmm. arguing was because I used a paper calendar and I color coordinate everything on it for what, whether it's a church event, a, whatever, all the things. And so then I wasn't used to putting things in my phone, which now we're sharing. I mean, this was like, I guess, going steady that we shared our calendars with each other. And um, mm-hmm. then it has to be on the calendar. It's not happening. Yes. Yeah. And uh, between two churches, I mean, there were some days where it's like we both go to church and then we've got a fellowship lunch afterwards. Then we got to go see this person afterwards. And then we got to be back board for youth group at this and time. This, and yeah. board, you know, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so coordinating those details, that was one. Mm-hmm. I'd say the second thing. Oh, that, I don't want to keep moving. For, I just want to talk to the reverend here for just a minute. Go for it. Do you want to have a microphone for this? <laughs> <laughs> no. So for some reason, we, we, it, it's, it's possible that we argue about this a little. And for some reason, my calendar perfectly syncs with all of his calendars on our phones. But his somehow doesn't. Sync with yours? Yeah. You should go to an Apple store. He does that all the time. That move right there. He does that when women flirt with him. And he does that about his calendar. I'm just saying. <laughs> if y'all can record that, I'd like to see y'all at the Apple store. I'd like to see that Yeah, footage. when we're at the Apple store, <laughs> yeah. we're headed there, huh? Would you like to go to the Apple store to make our calendars work? Just, I just want to know how hard it is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what? That's a non-commitment wait, to either would, one of us. Wait, what? <laughs> how hard? Is it hard for them to be coordinated on your phones? Not now. We make it work. 
But sometimes your calendars do get lost off of my phone, and I don't see them, and I don't know what's happened, and then I have to ask him to come. And then you won't tell me that they're lost off of your phone sometimes. Because I don't look at the calendar. Right. You see this? Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. I don't regularly look at the calendar. That's true. So then I realize months later that it's missing, and I've scheduled something. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There there was a while back that, like, she came to me and she's like, I get this weird message on my computer and I've gotten it for the last 12 months. I was like, the last 12 months? Like, what is it? And it was a virus. And I was, I was like, you have a virus on your computer. She's like, really? Is that bad? Yeah, it's bad. Like, Doing repress. The first of every... <laughs> I, I hope we have that on camera. A nine, an introverted nine shaking her shoulders and saying, doing repressed, doing it, repressed. Yeah. A little shimmy. <laughs> <laughs> the doing repressed shimmy. Mm-hmm. All right, the so second thing. Um, so Clearly, this is not going to be resolved in real time. So I'm, you know, I'm a, the which I'm thing, accustomed to, I might add. The second thing is practical, and the third thing is more Enneagram related. But the second thing is... just uh, duh, duh, duh. They're all Enneagram related. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's true. Um, the second thing is, is money. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of that is because when we got married and we had Lydia and then we came here, we made the decision to move to one primary income. And when we made that decision, we didn't realize that we were making a decision to be in conflict with the lives that we used to have and the lives that we would have. Yep. yep. And that decision to move to that has over and over and over and over and over again played out in conversation. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. I say that a lot. Is that fair? Yes. Um, so that would be the second thing. And then the third thing I would say would be when I have the best right idea about how to do something and she also has the best right idea about how to do something and I'm going to be really vocally assertive about it and she's not going to say anything but she's going to do her right best idea and then we run into each other. I'm... I think it's great that you called her idea the best right idea also. I could... That was just for y'all. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have the best right idea, and she also has an idea. Right. Right. Because I'm like, I have ideas too. (laughs) Mine might be pretty good. And he's like, I already know how we're doing it. I'm 10 steps ahead, and yours is not good. Well, we laugh. The story that's centered on this is that when we got married, we were talking about how to... We were talking about centerpieces for our reception. This is before we knew the Enneagram. Right. And from, from calendars to centerpieces, this is I a know. spicy relationship. Spicy. Yeah. Really. Spicy. We're going to just tell you our whole life story tonight. Um, <laughs> but Suzanne started talking about all these things that she wanted to do and all these things that it was going to look like. And I can't remember what it was supposed to look like, but she started talking about it. And I started thinking through the logistics of how to make that happen and how much it would cost. Logic. And what it's going to look like. Don't and I you started just hate it? I, I think logic is so overrated. It's just... And I feel like, logic is so overrated. This is... <laughs> this is, you know, we're going to have to cut wood. We're going to have to spend this money. We're going to do this, this, and this. And I look over and she's like sobbing right, yeah. in the seat next to me. Yep. I was like, what's wrong? And she goes, you are sucking the fun from our centerpieces. Um, 
And then I fired him, and it was so liberating that I was going to do the centerpieces without him, and I didn't know that was a choice, and then it was really awesome. But he's saying we had to do all this work. We learned to sew for our wedding because we made gifts for people. He learned how to woodwork and... I had big ideas about what we were going to do. And we... What did we... You... I learned how to turn wood. Uh, What, with the rocks? Oh, we learned how to polish and smooth stone. Like, yeah, all of the things. Like he had all these ideas. You know, and like people do for their weddings, right? The problem, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't see why people think you might be a seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have an interesting thing to think about in terms of all of that because the logic person in my life is right there. He just talks to me about logic all the time. That's illogical. I'm sobbing, mom. That's illogical. That's how I used to talk to you. I don't talk to you that way now. <laughs> I let you finish sobbing. And then say, that's illogical. Let me know when you want me to talk, and then I'll... But but I think somebody has to be logical. And so I don't know that that's a nine thing. Or illogical, nine is not a nine thing. Because if you put it next to a two, then nines look really logical. (laughs) As opposed to all of my feelings involved in all the things. You know, like Joe knows how long a thing's going to take to get done. Not me. Mm-hmm. Do you know how long things are, pro- how long does it take to do a wreath that you can suck the life out of in such a moment? That, yeah, I mean, I can give you an accurate time estimate about But how sometimes long. You, you think we're going to do all the things in one day. Mm-hmm. And we do. And, and I think, you know, we don't have time to drive across town and pack up our tiny people and get there and do this and then hop over to this place and do that yeah, and get back yeah. to this place and be able to do all the things. See, that's what I live with. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. If we lived together, we could get stuff done. Well, I'm just thinking about the number of days I've made life a living hell for the people I live with because we've done everything on them. Yeah. Oh, not me. So. I'm not that spiritually mature yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> told you we could do it. <laughs> we'll get home after a long day and everybody's crying, crying and mad. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I'll say, maybe that was too much. Maybe. Maybe. Tish. But it's after it's done. It's not before yeah. we do it. Mm-hmm. I was just saying, my deal with Whitney is we're not going to get it done if we're going to sit here arguing about it. This is cutting into the time. Like, fun time? To the time of doing. Oh, like if, yeah. mm-hmm. Logic. And then if, if you don't want to do it, you, you don't have to be a part of this. That's the next step. I'm glad <laughs> she's not here tonight. So, it'll be edited out. You better think about those three things you just said in a row and decide what you want to put on the air. Were those the things that you were going to say that we fight about? Yes. Or disagree about? Yes. There are only three? Probably well, more. I thought, I thought what you were going to say is that you get really mad at me for how much faster I move. That is true. And think. And think. My whole family is faster than me. Yep. Yes. Y'all should talk about that more. Uh, so I'm a tidier. I tidy up. And... Um, sometimes I make piles Suzanne makes piles she's not a tidy that I'm gonna get to later Mm -hmm. Um, so sometimes when Suzanne is making dinner for us or something like that yes I will offer to wash the dishes while she's cooking I don't really offer I I just walk in and I start washing I have turned around to get a dish that I've been using and he's washed it and put it away while I'm still cooking and while I'm trying to use it still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it goes the other way, too. She'll 
do something this Just remember, these are God's chosen people to lead us. <laughs> I'm really glad that you're here for this. Yes. Um, and then there are the moments where um, it goes the other way, where she'll be really kind and really generous to me and really helpful to me, and she'll do something like get out the utensils that I need to use for my dinner and put them on the table, and I won't notice it or care about it, and I'll go get my own stuff. And then I'll get to the table, and I'm like, why did you give me a fork? And she'll be like, because I love you. <laughs> I want to care for you. <laughs> but but they everyone in my family is very moves very fast and I I say now all the time I am not as fast as you. I am my daughters get mad. Mommy, I need this. Mommy, help me. Mommy, are you coming? I am not as fast as you need me to be. I am coming. <laughs> I will get to it. So, that's an ongoing thing in our household mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been talking about for the last few years that I think is really important and that is that aggressive numbers threes sevens and eights think faster than we do than the rest of us do so we're always a step back or two because we just don't think that fast and when you add not thinking as quick as fast as they do to how quickly everything moves and how much has to be done all the stuff then it gets to a point where you feel like it's not I'm not as fast as you. It's I'll never be as fast as you for me. Yes. And often because he's already moved into those spaces, I think I must not be right. He must yep. be right. Yep. And I am not. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of confidence in those numbers. Lots. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like to know about uh, each of you, from each of you, what it's like to work for Shanna. Because she's a three. and so we because get to talk about her and she can't say anything back? That's this correct. Is, this this is, is the moment right here. This is great. Oh, oh, she's oh, coming. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I imagine since it's her church, she can just pretty much well yeah. do whatever she wants to do. But, but it's, it's very different for a nine to work for a three than for an eight to work for a three. And all three of you have done a lot of work, so I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, that's one of the reasons I feel safe asking the question. You asked earlier about the dynamic of us being in the same space together. You know, it's interesting to have our, when we have our staff meetings, um, and we don't know the numbers of all of our staff, but just with Ryan and Shanna, they're planning and visioning and what's next and what's ahead. And, like, I'm like, well, can, Christmas was just yesterday. Can we talk mm-hmm. about what went really well at Christmas? That was really great. What can mm-hmm. we do next year that's like it? What can we change? Oh, those types of things. So, um taking a moment to look back a little bit and also orientation um, to time yes orientation to time for sure and also you know I I always feel like in a in a room I can take stock of the room and know who's feeling included and whose voice isn't heard and um and and make sure that that is happening and so that people don't get lost in the mix. And so I think those are a few just dynamic things. Um, Shannon and I have known each other for a long time. And so uh, and when we were in seminary, we would joke about our dream team when we served on a church. And wouldn't it be super fun to serve with our friends? And um, so it's been a real gift for us to actually get to do that and, um, and serve together and to serve with someone that um, I know and trust. And so... And we share that energy of three, so I think I understand, you know, those lines on the triangle that we share um, a little bit. And so 
we share some of that, even though she is faster. And I look to her as the boss, but I also know that she's valuing um, the gifts that I bring. Um, and so there was already going to be a confidence in me that I could trust that I could share my voice and know that it would be valued, where maybe in other situations I've hung back more and not been one to be assertive in conversation or in meetings and things like that. So um, I don't know if that fully answers what it's like to work with Shanna, but for me it's been a real gift. Right. And just from the outside, like seeing they share a line on the Enneagram as a three and a six, and, and or three and a nine, sorry. <laughs> and, and there are these moments where they will slide along the energies of those lines. And there are moments where, for example, Shanna will be in six space and she'll be in stress. And no, that's her uh, stream. Sorry, she'll be in low nine space because she's in stress and she's not quite sure what to do in those moments. And often in those moments, Suzanne will slide into high three yeah. and take the space that Shanna is usually in. Yep. And... And in those moments, we, well, I'm sitting on the side usually in those moments and I'm an absolute mess because I'm all up in my feelings. And in those moments, it's incredible to see the strength that Suzanne brings to the team. Um, and that counterbalance of those energies really is a gift in many ways. That, one of the things I want to make sure I say in the midst of this is that us working together the biggest joy of it is to see her giftedness at work here. And that comes out within the strength of the team so often. Um, for me, um, working with Shanna, um, Suzanne's right. Like, Shanna and I have these sessions where we'll sit together and we'll brainstorm and we'll be a year or two or five down the road without of, me there without Suzanne just, there yep and is it calendared mm-hmm. also sometimes we yes. do calendar stuff <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. yep and we're just boom 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 and uh getting things done and sometimes we'll come to a point where we we're not sure what to do next and in those moments we'll invite Suzanne in and she'll listen to us and she'll say y'all are ridiculous <laughs> uh, more often than not or this could work or I don't know about this and that's great. But part of the time I sit and listen to them and think, oh, they planned all this out, and I have some questions. And again, I don't trust that my questions are going to um, be valuable in that moment. And so sometimes I don't ask them, or, or I have to talk myself into asking them. They're like, oh, yeah, we didn't think of that. Or, yeah, that's a great idea. And so, um, you know, it's just always a constant thing for me. Yeah, yeah lost childhood message. Yeah, and, and working with Ryan, you know, I, I just love being with him, and then I felt like I depended on him and um, sought his advice a lot on things, and so, you know, I'm missing that now, not being in his presence all the time at work and seeing his giftedness and, um, and just living in that light that he... Um, shares with the congregation so I do I do miss that piece of it too and yeah we're still yoked and so it's a it's pretty great to still be sharing and in ministry with them and this new challenge in this new way that we're um, working with this new congregation too so a little bit more about that eight three dynamic um in 2016 Shanna and I didn't really know each other that well she just knew that I was Suzanne's husband and we were friends that way and and we ended up at your boot camp 
at Life in the Trinity, and um, we were at the boot camp, and Shanna was pretty fresh to the church, and she needed a full-time associate. And she walked up to you, and you were at your table, and she said, I need an associate. What do I need? And you said, and I walked up there with her because I had a separate question. And you looked at her, and you said, you really need an aggressive number, like a, a seven or an eight. You know? And Shanna looked at me, and she's like, who do you know who's a seven or an eight who's looking to be an associate in a church? And I was like, I have no idea. And then you know, a year later, we're like, we're such suckers to the Holy Spirit. Um, you said, I'm a seven. I tried I to help you right there. I tried to put it all together. It is a real gift, one, to have a partner in work that you trust, especially for an eight who has a really hard time trusting others. Talk about that. You know, I said that we had that conversation where we sat together and I just kind of laid out all of this stuff. I had come out of a relationship in ministry that was really difficult for a lot of reasons. And, and I, you don't need to go there. I'm not going to talk all about it, but, but I'm just going to say that. I'm, just, I'm, I'm trying to find out what, what it is about AIDS from your perspective yeah. and feelings mm-hmm. that is so icky. What it is about AIDS in general that's icky? Mm. And feelings. You keep leaving either out your number or feelings. I want you to talk about... Well, trust is founded... I mean, so much of trust is founded in the way that we feel. Okay. The way that a relationship helps us to feel. Yeah. And when we have a relationship with another person, it requires us to do things, and it requires us to think things, and it requires us to feel things. And if we can't tap into each of those three things, Mm -hmm. um, it's really difficult to build trust. Yep. And for me... As an eight, when I walk into something, I know what to do. I don't need anybody else to tell me what to do, necessarily. Now, that's changed a little bit with some work and some time. And most of the time, I know what I think, but I have no idea what I feel. Yep. And I really needed a partner who I could trust to ask me on a regular basis, how do you feel about that? Not only that, they would, that she would ask me that question, but that I would know that I was safe in responding to it. Yep. And that that's not going to go anywhere. Um, but it's going to open an avenue for us to do something different. And equally so for her as a three, there are moments where she trusts me deeply yep. to, to say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are you feeling right now? Mm-hmm. How's that functioning? Um, and the thing that's so important about that, and it doesn't have anything to do with ministry, it just has to do with life and doing some work but the thing that's so important about that is that you if you don't ask the question you never get the answer and not only do you not get the answer but the other person doesn't get the opportunity an aggressive number to think through how do I feel about this like how am I going to bring up feelings so one of the most interesting thing that things that has happened in my relationship to the two of you is Bethany Fellows because we met in circumstances where y'all were trying to help people mm-hmm. deal with their feelings about ministry. The Bethany Fellows is a program for people who are transitioning yeah. into ministry in their first five years of ministry. So it's a supportive program for new pastors. Really. And the thing about that that I, I think is so valuable is that it's not a, when you ask 
a three, a seven, or an eight, what they're feeling. If you're not committed to hearing the answer and honoring it, don't ask it. Because when I teach stances and I say to these three numbers, I want you to go home and really work on trying to bring up feelings. We just start getting email. Why would anybody do this? Why would anybody want to do this? What value could this possibly have? It's like there's all this built-in stuff in aggressive numbers that pushes back against all of that. But the same is true when somebody says to me, what do you think? It's like if you're not going to value what I think, and if you don't want to know what I think, don't ask me what I think. Because that's a very vulnerable question for me. Mm-hmm. And what do you think we should do is equally vulnerable for fours, fives, and nines. And I, I'm concerned that that gets, once we've experienced that feeling exchange and it works, mm-hmm. then I, I want to be sure you know that that doesn't happen with all pastors. It's not like some things that comes with ordination. Mm-mm. And it sometimes happens totally outside of <clears throat> any kind of Christian or moral construct of just tell me how you're feeling about this. And I think those are the most important questions on the Enneagram. And we would ask the question to share a feeling word at the beginning of our staff meeting, and Ryan and Shanna both pull out their feeling wheel that has all the feeling words on Everybody it. Everybody know what a feeling wheel is? Yes, good, thank it's you. It's a circle that has all these feeling words on it to help you name what you're feeling, and they carry them around with them to help them to name those feelings. And, the, you know, I don't carry one. I've got all the feelings and could say any number of them at any time. So, for, You know, for us, the repressed center is feelings. And, you know, for you, it's thinking, right? And for Suzanne, it's doing. And I feel like every single time we ask ourselves... In our case, what are you feeling? If we're honest to it, if we really allow ourselves to be honest to our repressed centers, it never fails to open up an avenue for grace to enter. That's right. um, Over and over and over again. From your perspective as the eight, how does it play out differently, that conversation about feelings with Shana the three and your wife, the nine. More often than not, the question of how am I feeling here um, comes out in moments where um, I'm really mad. I'm really where my anger is taking the driver's seat here. Um, if if I'm really furious about a situation and I'm not sure what to do, Channel will say, "Well, how do you feel about it?" You know, or if I know that I've really messed up. Um, if I've really stepped in something, she'll say, how do you feel about it? Um, and we'll talk through that. And it's not to say that that's the only time it comes up, but that's the most often scenario. And then with us, there's a more of a tenderness when that question comes. I mean, it comes from the place of the shared love that we have. More often than not, it comes in places where I'm really, um, to use our dog as a metaphor, where I've rolled over and shown my soft underbelly in those moments, and, and she'll ask me, how do you feel right now? And I'm like, you could really gut me in this moment, but I know you're not going to. You know? Sweet J-Lo. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you've got these two relationships. How many more on top of that do you have that you have that trust? 
Um, it's changed some since I've done work. Um, but I would say that the people who I lean towards, you know, I, I would say the people who are closest to me, there are probably five or six people um, that I'm closest to. That's a lot. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you think in your experience, three, sevens, and eights are the least trusting in general of the Enneagram numbers? I asked that because uh, recently in couples therapy, when he said something, I heard what she, what the words that she said, and it was very upsetting to me. And then we got to unpack that then for the hour, so that was fun. What we worked to was, you know, I said, I was like, if there was anybody else on the couch besides Whitney, I wouldn't believe all these things that she's saying after it. Because she said that. Like, why would you say that and not mean that? And she's like, that's not what I meant. What I meant was this. And, you know, because it's Whitney, I was like, okay, I, I do believe you. But anybody else, I would have been like, you know, this is a waste of time for us to keep talking about this. No, no question is that simple. But let me just say this. I, I do think that threes and sevens and eights are the least trusting, along with phobic sixes. And by phobic sixes, I mean sixes who stay in phobic space more than on the continuum moving back and forth. And it, it's interesting then to talk about where the root of all of the lack of trust comes from. So you don't trust for all the personal reasons that we all have that are different from one another. But you don't trust because you came out of childhood believing that people aren't trustworthy and you shouldn't trust them, even though you grew up in the community and all the people and all the stuff, right? It's a part of your personality type and how you see the world that you don't trust for that reason. Threes don't trust generally because they don't share enough to earn trust. Their way of being in the world is to give you the, the successful part of the story and want you to trust that. Because what, what threes ultimately want is they want to get you to want to follow them. That's the goal. And it's because they care about you. It's like, I, I, I can help you be more of you. And I just need you to trust me so that I can help you do that. And, and so the trust thing is, I haven't risked enough, really, to not trust you, except with this goal that I have. I'm going to reach this goal, and the trust value has to do with whether or not you're going to help me. As for personal stuff, meh. You only love me. This is a three-talking. I'm not, but it is. You only love me for what I do and not for who I am anyway. So it's all about the goals. It's the trust level isn't as personal and therefore uh, as scary as it is for you. You, you want to do your own little trust walk? <laughs> no, based if I were to say something... Based on those two, first of all, I do have to say, when I was a senior in high school, I was part of the student empowerment team and peer mediator and all this stuff, and we had to do, she made us do trust falls. 
I was like, this is a terrible idea. This is, um, I was as big then as I am now. Other, these other kids were, it's like, this is not good. She's like, everybody's got to do it. And this woman was old Sam Panders. Her name was Pam Sanders. Can you imagine what it was like for Joel to be a senior in high school and call his English teacher Sam Panders? That'll let you know who was in charge. But she, <laughs> so she was in charge, but she made me do it. And then, you know, then they didn't catch me and... So, yeah. So this isn't, I don't think, directly tied to that. That didn't help. <laughs> so, yeah, they didn't catch me. How did it make you feel? So, yeah, we're going to all... Well, that, all right, well, that gets me, and I, I think that gets to the, the crux of my question, I guess, or my hypothesis, is because if three sevens and eights are feeling repressed, and for trust, it's got to be feelings. Like, you don't to bring those feelings to the table, I guess, requires trust. And so if we're not consistent, what you say, you can't do what you don't practice. That's right. And so if we're not consistently bringing feelings, then we're not going to trust other people to accept the feelings. And then you mentioned childhood messages. Uh, there's, clearly there's trust issues based on that for seven. That's right. That's right. And then sixes, that's the perfect segue into sixes because sixes don't trust themselves. Phobic sixes don't trust themselves. So they don't know how to trust somebody else. They don't even know what that is. So they just lean into people who are charismatic and who have a big platform and who are experts because other people have determined that those people are trustworthy. And so that gets to be a, a, a really huge thing. Ryan, you've talked about doing the work. Um, Shanna and I have talked a lot about doing the work. Y'all have obviously done a lot of work, and I want y'all to know that all three people, uh, all three aggressive numbers, and the other Suzanne, and this one too, but they all bought in, with or without our help, to what an LTM we believe is part of the journey, and that's a spiritual director and a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, this conversation would not be happening the way it is without for them without therapy and spiritual direction and for them the three of them working together without therapy and spiritual direction sometimes I feel like I'm overstating how important I think this is and then uh, I, I, I knew Ryan pre-therapy mm-hmm. and post-therapy <laughs> and uh, the conversations are different. Mm-hmm. We talk about different things. Um, it's a game changer. And going to therapy doesn't mean you have to go every week forever. And going to spiritual direction does mean that you have to have a wise one who helps you walk through your stuff when it comes to spiritual direction. Otherwise, I guarantee you, you are fully equipped to talk yourself into believing that God wants exactly what you want instead of the other way around. And then you can line up all the ways that God is setting the table for you to have what you want because God's so faithful. And unless you have somebody who looks at it from a different perspective and says, nah, I don't know. What about this? And what about this? So please don't 
be dismissive of either one because lots of the people that you hear us talk to, including the two of us, are in therapy and have a spiritual director and are doing the stuff. Has anyone seen the movie or seen the movie recently, uh, The Kingdom of Heaven? Oh, man, well, never mind then. So, no. <laughs> well, check it out. It's a, it's a good film, but uh, it's, medi- <laughs> it's medieval. This is a seven. I'm going to tell you the story anyway. Um, you know, they're about to go to war. They're fighting over Jerusalem. Just so you know, we've eaten whole meals while Joel told us about a movie. We've cleaned the kitchen. We've all gotten ready for bed, and he's on frame 4007. It's worth it. You, you appreciate it. After this, after tonight, and you watch it, you're like, that Joel was right. But, you know, they're yeah, fighting yeah. over invading Jerusalem, and uh, everything that they say, the priests are all the time, God wills it. The, the priests and medieval time, God wills it. God wills it. Say anything that they want when you're talking about it. That's yeah. what I was thinking about. <laughs> can, anyway. I, can I say one more thing about therapy? Sure. When I started my journey with therapy, I started with one therapist, and then he retired. And uh, then I went to another therapist who I really loved and really liked, and then he disappeared, and he had cancer. Um, And then I started with a third therapist. Now, it was really hard for me to go to the first therapist. So by the time I got to the third therapist, I was like, what the hell? Just give me anybody. Yeah. Are you feeling okay, and are you going to retire? That, that's exactly. Right. That was my first session. I was like, that, I need yeah. to know these two things thing. right now, right? And, uh, and every time, I've been surprised by what's come out of it. Yeah. And I think one of the most, and my, my current therapist, the third therapist, has been a huge gift to me, a really unexpected one. And it's invited me into new paths beyond the Enneagram to other things. Um, now it's body work, and that's a totally new thing to me. But every single time it has held surprising gifts. And when I started it, I was afraid of what it would take away from me. Yep. I was really afraid of what it would steal from me or find out about me. And over and over again, it's given me things. I've talked a lot over the years about what it's like to go to spiritual direction to Richard Rohr with Joe Stabile sitting right there. You know, it's like Joe and me and Father I Rohr. I don't know what that's like, but yeah. Well, it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Or is it Joe and Father Rohr and me? Like that, you know, there's all that going on. And then I thought nobody's ever going to understand this, but Joel does because he's married to a therapist. <laughs> Dude, uh, not the most recent time we went in, but when we sat down, I said, your chair's pointing more at me than the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm, who doesn't fit here? Oh, uh, to, wait, it's me. They're both looking at me the whole time for the whole hour. I'm like, hey. uh, Okay. Uh, question time. Here we go. Sorry. Man, I'm back in that therapy room right now. This is upsetting. Okay. Like, you have to be a rock star singer. I could be. Okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. Three wing four done, signed, sealed, delivered type of deal. And then about a year and a half ago, a close um, colleague was like, Katrina, I really think you need to reconsider that you are an eight. You are like giving me a lot of eight energy. Um, you, are, you have been just challenging me for months and months. And so I was like, what? No, I haven't been. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I just did. Um, and so I've been in this process basically for the last year and a half 
of I've listened to every single podcast that you've done, all of the stances multiple times of really trying to land on if I am a three or an eight. Um, I am, I, I would think that the, one of the main things that I think differentiates me between being a three or an eight is I don't really connect to a lot of shame, but when I think about like anger, that is just very on the surface. Um, and I forget the gal that you guys just did your last podcast with, but I listened to a lot of that conversation. I was like, hmm, okay. But I'm still very on the edge of like, am I a three? Am I an eight? I don't know how to get there. And I want to be very certain. Um, so any thoughts or how to figure that? I have all of my reasons written down why I am and why I am not each number. Okay, well, let's don't, let's don't use all of that right now. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Shanna, so what I want you to know is that when you have me and a three and an eight in the room, then we're going to start with a three saying, here's how I'm not an eight, and an eight saying, here's how I'm not a three. And then I'm going to finish it off. Okay. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's about motivation. I'm terrified that... Um, I'll be a failure, and you'll think that I'm just um, the girl from the small town who never wasn't going to amount to anything to begin with. I know which hat to wear every day. Um, or more appropriately, I know which shoes I need to wear every day um, so that I can walk into the room and know how I fit. That's the thing for me, I think, is the difference one of the big differences for me between a three and an eight is I got a closet full. Suzanne always calls them hats. I always call them shoes because I prefer shoes to hats. But um, I know whether this is a leopard print flat pointy shoe kind of day or a, a four-inch stiletto when I walk into a room because I need to make sure that all the boys know that I'm the senior pastor at Community Christian Church. And if I don't dress the part, uh, especially... I mean, I'm less so now, right? I do that less now because I just doesn't matter as much. But um, especially when I first became the senior minister here, it's about that um, I know which hat to wear, I know which shoes to wear, and so that I fit. And I, it's important to me that I fit Be, and then, so that I know I belong there. You know, my husband will tell you, we'll go 47 rounds about what I should wear. Truly. And that, that sounds like ridiculous, so when we go to an event to make sure that, what? Sorry. Yeah, um, to make sure that, that I'm in the right place. Um, but the shame is a, a big thing, mm -hmm. and, and the anger is not real. Well, that would require me to feel something, so there's that. But. Mm -hmm. Thank you, don't leave. So one of the phrases that Shanna and I use a lot in our conversations is that Shanna sees things in the multiverse, and I see things in the universe. Meaning, she sees all these possible ways that things could happen. And she usually can pick out the best possible way within those for them to happen. For me, I see the one best way, and I go after it. And in so many different moments, I know what to do. Uh, just as an example, I always, in different situations I've been in, I always get put in charge of, like, emergency response or management plans. Because in those moments when nobody else knows what to do, I know what to do, period. Well, that's also because I'm an Eagle Scout, not just an A, but yeah. 
That's do, awesome. do you see that little competitive three? No, that's just because you were an Eagle Scout. Right. I could do the same thing. That's what she's thinking. Right. Do you still need me? So, I have been thinking, and I think I'm getting closer to landing on, that I am an eight that grew up in a three world. Yep. So, mm. went to an all-girls high school, private school, very success-oriented, went to Scion, mm-hmm. um, and success was the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I even think that I realized that success... And you live in Johnson County now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I've I've realized that success to me now is actually, that's how I feel in control. Because if I'm successful, then I did everything like I was supposed to Mm -hmm. in order to be in control. Yep. Um, Motivation. Yeah, those are a couple of things that I'm starting to notice is like I'm pretty sure I'm an eight that I just grew up in a three world because I know what shoes to wear you know like y'all better get over that because yeah. there's coming a day when stilettos will not be part of your life fair I have it's never, true I don't worry about um, it. but that was one <laughs> thing that I was also like I know I know who to read in the room how to read the room how to be in the room but again to the point of shame like I don't care what you think about me I just yeah. do not care yeah and that's yeah, that's, that's more it. There me it than is. Her. Yeah. Because I care a lot what you think about me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot what you think about me. Yeah. You're great. Not only does You're she great. care not only does she care about what you think about her, but she knows how to craft herself so that you will think something specific about her. Right. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all secondary to me in regards to like yeah. right. I know exactly I know the one thing to do. I know exactly what to do, how to do it. I am I, I get it done. And I don't think it's just being raised in a three world. I think it's a very gendered thing between men and women who are eights. Also true. Hi. Hi. I'm Malia, and I'm very nervous standing up here. Um, then so you're not a three, and you're up. not an eight. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, um, uh, I'm a nine. I grew up in an alcoholic home. And I'm curious from your perspective how you suggest to folks who naturally don't think that they have a voice when they grow up in a home that tells them that often. And then I'm curious on the second part of that is when you work with, um, and for, for you as all, the, I'm curious, um, when you work with teens a lot, how, I know you're not supposed to number people, I get it, um, but when you work with teenagers moving through that same space, how would you recommend not numbering them, but understanding a bit and how to use the Enneagram without saying, hey, hon, you're an eight, or hey, you're four, and I get it, and you're not depressed all the time. But, you know, how do you do that without doing, you know, labeling people, if that yeah. makes sense? Yeah. So, sorry for the two-parter, but thank you for letting me ask two questions. Sure, sure. We've got a lot of thoughts about question number two, the two of us do, yeah. but you. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, um, here's my response to question number two. Joey and Billy are doing really good work with Enneagram parents. Here's why. Because they ultimately convinced me that they think after a certain age, and it wasn't easy, that you can know what stance, not what triad, but what stance kids are in, and that's all you need to know for that point in their lives. They can figure out what number they are later. And in a supportive role, which you are defining in terms of working with kids, 
what you need to know is whether or not you need to ask them, well, how do you feel about that? Or, well, what are you going to do about that? Or, well, what do you think about that? That's the best gift you can give them. And beyond that, they're not ready to do any of the other work anyway. And so if we, if we get into a place of telling kids, well, if you're a four, nobody's ever going to understand you. That's not helpful. Or, I'm so sorry you're an eight. People are going to call you a bitch till your mid-40s. <laughs> right? It's not helpful. It's not helpful. Uh, well, you need to watch that perfecting things as a one. Other people don't like that. That's not helpful. The three questions I gave you and the three ways to find out which question to ask are all helpful. And the best help is not to ask the one that they're already good at, right? So do your work and do your stance work to know whether or not to ask which one of those three questions. Because if you ask me what do I feel, I can tell you all day. All day. And that's not helpful. So one of the things that we talk about here at Community a lot is intergenerational ministry. And the two things that I want to make sure I say about it to you are, I think it's really important when you do that, because we do that. We, we do that, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, what should you do here? We create intentional experiences of community that often push people outside of their comfort zones in order to ask those questions. So we take an intergenerational mission trip each year. And I'm thinking specifically that this last year we went and we did tornado relief in Mayfield, Kentucky. And the church that is part of our tradition, which is in Mayfield, which was the church that Suzanne served as her first call, was completely destroyed by a tornado last December. And we took the entire group to the, to the site where that church was, and we had 20 people there. And they are all different numbers in different ways. And then after that experience... We gave time, and then we sat together, and we started with those three questions. And we processed it in community together, because the people who really wanted to talk about their feelings, they had to take a back seat to some of the folks who really felt something in that moment and surprised themselves. So create intentional community and create intentional experiences outside of their comfort zones in order to do that. Did you talk to the first part of that question? I heard no. a question about no, but I will. Of, yeah, I think a bad twelve-step uh, group of adult children of alcoholics is better than no group. But like spiritual directors and therapists, I think you get to shop around till you find the right fit for you. Just be careful that you're finding the right fit and not the most comfortable fit necessarily. And every, uh, you, we talk to a lot of people from a lot of places who grew up in homes where there was addiction and a lack of safety as a result of that. And it, it is too easy. Lean in here and look at me. If this doesn't work for you as an answer and you think, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like that, then it is your job to be right here when we finish, okay? So you and I understand one another, okay? 
it, it is easiest for us to fall into whatever happened to us as children as the reason for bad behavior on our part or the reason to not do our work on our part. So most people know that I was abused as a foreign exchange student when I was 16. So that is either a reason for some of my behavior or it's an excuse for some of my behavior. And when you grow up with the childhood messages that nines grow up with in the environment that you're discussing, then you get to legitimately use that as that's a bad mix. An eight could have grown up in the same home that you grew up in with a different response to all of that because of the difference in how you see the world. And your way of seeing the world and the messages that all nines get in childhood is it's not okay to assert yourself, which is expanded ten times in a home where there is alcohol abuse. And you don't hear that your presence matters because the safest place for you in an episode or during a time of dysfunction is to hide and not let your presence matter. So those are things that are very valuable pieces for you to take to therapy because it saves five years for you to know those things that we just talked about. Five years of therapy it will take you to get to, yeah, but I believed my presence didn't matter. Well, yeah, but I already knew it wasn't okay to assert myself. I didn't think it was okay to assert myself at school, much less at home, right? So that's a lot of work for you to do and do it. Will you just real fast rip through, you don't need to expand on them, but rip through the uh, lost childhood messages for all nine numbers, and I've got a reason. Uh, Yes, I will surely try. Uh, The lost childhood message for ones is you are good. For twos, it's you are wanted. For threes, it's you are loved for who you are and not for what you do. For fours, it's you are seen and heard and maybe understood. For fives, it's your needs are not a problem. For sixes, it's you are safe. For sevens, it's your needs will be taken care of. For eights, it's um, you will not be betrayed. And for nines, it's your presence matters. I think if you take that list as well as the unconscious childhood message, some people struggle with that. Let's say you had a, a wonderful upbringing, whatever it may be, and that's more complicated. If you were to take just the idea, the hypothetical of put yourself in a, a home growing up uh, where alcohol or drugs were abused and you had that situation, every single number could see how they could get their right. both messages. That's right. So it's not even so as a seven to personalize it, I could see easily mine. It wouldn't because someone would be like, oh, it's easy for nine to be like their presence doesn't matter because of this. It's easy to see in all of them. Yeah. The point. Yep. All right. Of all the things, you didn't list a lot of things that you didn't want us to do or talk about, but you did list one thing that you did want us to talk about. And so I'm going to. And that was this. I'm assuming it's the mission statement for this church. And here it is. 
Community Christian Church is an open and affirming congregation that practices the real, radical, and inclusive love of Jesus in the greater Kansas City area. As part of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, we welcome people of all ages, all abilities, and all identities to know and be known as God's beloved. So I tried hard not to say what you didn't want me to talk about, and I ticked it off for what you do want me to talk about. And I'm going to tell you, if you already broke up with the church, you ought to give this one a try. It's like a girlfriend you never thought of or a boyfriend that you never thought of. Was that, it? Was that a question? I don't know what happened there. <laughs> you blacked out for a minute. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> she was talking to a two last time I checked. What happened? Uh, well, if that was, yeah, check out this church. It's great. And um, thank you all for being here. Well, just so we say it, I mean, it's really, it was an honor to be asked to be part of this. And we're both just thrilled. So thank you for the invitation. Yeah. And thank you for trusting us. And thank you all for trusting yes, us. Thank yeah, thank you all I for coming. Great times. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast and for sticking around to the end to listen to me a little bit more. The good part is, is that we want to listen to you. So the topic for the next episode of Others on the Journey is trust and the Enneagram. We want you to call in, leave a 90-second voice message or less, but up to 90 seconds, your Enneagram number, and your relationship with trust. What Ryan shared about trust and Suzanne's input I thought was just really great. But like Suzanne says, nobody talks for an Enneagram number as well as that number. So what is your relationship with trust and your Enneagram number? Visit theenneagramjourney.com slash contact and leave a voicemail. And then we're going to compile them together. And that will be the next episode of Others on the Journey. Again, that's theenneagramjourney.com slash contact. Look forward to hearing from you.